All views and opinions expressed in this podcast may lead to learning. All information provided is for educational and developmental purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for a growth mindset. Before taking action, please consult your motivation. Welcome to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Learn Your English is a company that is changing the way people study, learn, and teach languages. Learn Your English offers students and teachers strategies to effectively develop their abilities and skills in their own time. Bringing you the latest in English language learning and teaching, Teacher Talking Time explores all angles for teachers and students alike. Got a question? Comment, a story to share, Send us an email at info at learnyourenglish.com. This is the Teacher Talking Time Podcast. And we need to also, I mean, remind ourselves that at least that's that's a big belief of mine, that teaching doesn't ensure learning, yes. right? Uh, so what, what students are going to learn sometimes goes beyond what we think we're teaching. But if you are a true educator, you're going to provide them with a, a skill set and you're going to provide them with the autonomy to learn more, to uh, learn what you can't foresee, to, to, to learn by themselves. And then at the end, you know, and then you become what we are supposed to be, a true facilitator, a yes. moderator of learning, which is this beautiful idea that in practical terms doesn't really, I, at least in my experience, I, I don't see it happen a lot. I, I, yeah. I see development programs that will truly prepare teachers to be educators and facilitators. Quite the contrary. I, I see a lot of, of programs trying to uh, help teachers just, you know, survive by, yeah. you know, giving them uh, very prescriptive ideas and kind of like recipes in a way and not empowering them to to become true educators and facilitators of the learning process. Teacher Talking Time is created with support from you, our listeners. If you like the show, you like what we do, please subscribe in your favorite app, tell a friend, and leave us a review. Believe us, it goes a long way. If you're interested in contributing to the creation of the show, we also have a tip jar on Patreon. The link to that, all our social media, and our website is in the show notes. For more resources on today's topic, you can check out our podcast page online, learnyourenglish.net slash podcast. Thanks for listening. And now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. My name is Thiago Freire, and I'm from Sao Paulo, Brazil, and you're listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Fala, galera. Meu nome é Thiago Freire, eu sou de São Paulo, Brasil, e você está escutando o Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Espero que vocês gostem. Okay, um, so welcome to the uh, Teacher Talking Time podcast, and in today's episode, we have a very special guest. Um, his name, well, his name is Vinicius Nobri, a.k.a. Vinny, who, in my opinion, has been rocking the ELT world for over 25 years. He has done basically everything you can possibly imagine in terms of education. He's a teacher, 
a teacher educator, a materials developer, academic director in some of the biggest language centers in his home country, Brazil. You might think he was satisfied with that. No, not at all. Apart from all the aforementioned activities, he is also a CELTA, ICELT, and a Delta tutor. He was also the president of Brass Diesel, and now he's just got a, wor a job, I could say, working as an MA tutor with the Nile Institute. Vinicius, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Leo. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. <laughs> Thanks for uh, accepting our invitation. Did I forget anything? I think I forgot one thing. Uh, you didn't mention my books. Yes. yes. <laughs> I was going to talk about that now. But we're gonna, this is going to be part of our conversation today as well, because we're going to be talking a little bit about getting into teacher education, which is your latest um, published material. But we're not going to start talking about that. We're going to start talking a little bit about you. I mean, you've been okay. everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, because, I mean, you're now working mostly with Troika, I would say. Is that correct? Yes, yes. That's my, my full-time activity. And through Troika, I can do a lot of things with a lot of great partners. Mm -hmm. But uh, we opened Troika about two years ago. And so that's, that's what I've been doing ever since. Nice. So perhaps we can talk a little bit about the genesis of Troika and what the impetus was for you to give birth to this wonderful educational startup. Well, uh, since you used the analogy of giving birth, I can say that it was not planned. It was an, an accident child in okay. that sense. <laughs> like mo like most, chi most children in the world, I would say. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, I, had, uh, I had left my, my previous job because I wanted to do something different, but I wasn't really sure uh, mm -hmm. about what I was going to do. And then I, and I started accepting a couple of jobs here and there, like projects and... Uh, specific things with different people, not uh, a major full-time activity. And then uh, my business partner, Paolo, uh, also left his job and he was going through pretty much the same transition. And I invited him to join me and uh, help me with some of these projects. Then, you know, eventually we looked at each other and said, okay, since we have all these tiny little things happening at the same time, maybe we should organize this. And we opened this consulting company that for about six months uh, was very hard to define. We would meet people and they would ask us, so what is it that you do? And we were always very embarrassed because we had to list <laughs> the things that we did. There was no mission. Right. And then eventually we found, we got our bearings and we found uh, a clear way to, to express what we do. And uh, it's, it's been fun. Oh yeah. No, I mean you guys are doing amazing, amazing work in Brazil. What is what was the what's the main vision that you had when you gave birth to Troika? Like what did you want like what do you what do you see Troika doing now? What's the role that you see this company playing in Brazil? I think that uh we we want to do something different. Uh we want to do something a little bit off the beaten track. There's a lot going on in Brazil in the world actually in terms of English language teaching that might um, turn ELT into a bit of a commodity. There is, mm -hmm. there is a lot going on that resembles what other people are doing. Uh, and there are layers and layers of uh, predictable activities. Um, and it's very hard in a way to find in, in many places and in many contexts something that is a little bit more unique. Mm -hmm. um, so in a way, we're trying to kind of like go back to, to the basics and we want to talk about teaching. We want to talk about real people in the classroom 
looking at students, whether it is through the material that we design or the professional development opportunities that we offer or uh, through the, the, the consulting that we, we also, we've been giving to uh, companies and individual teachers for that matter. So I think that what we want to do, we want to do something different, uh, high quality, but, but different, something that is not uh, what everybody sees out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I absolutely. I've been following a lot of the work that you guys have been doing. There's a lot of, um, I would say a lot of in-service with hints of pre-service here and there. Um, a lot of the consulting, working with uh, other startups in Brazil. And you've been traveling around this, the country, I would say, promoting Troika and delivering very informative sessions and, and, and the like. And one of the subjects I remember you've been presenting on extensively, not so much lately, had to do with motivation, which is a topic that is very dear to me for a lot of reasons, which I won't get into too many details here, but I have a problem between differentiating discipline from motivation, but we'll get there. Um, so perhaps we can talk a little bit about motivation, some of the recent theories that you've, you've, uh, you've uncovered in some of these talks and the kind of impact that they have in classroom practice. Uh, it's, it is one of my favorite topics and uh, we, we have been, trying to help teachers around Brazil to, and not only Brazil, we've, we've been doing some work in other countries in Latin America too, but right. we, 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 we want uh, teachers to uh, maybe revisit some of the, the beliefs they have and shift some paradigms. Uh, from what we understand the Troika, we, in a way, we've been getting it all wrong when it comes to motivation. Um, and Why do you say that? Because I, I, well, first of all, if you just think about the people you know, if, if, if we were doing a good job, people would be highly motivated, which is very hard to find. People are usually depressed and anxious and demotivated. So there is something wrong out there, right? It's true. Uh, That's true. And especially when it comes to teaching. I mean, people are quitting the profession. They're changing careers. It's hard to find teachers who are, you know, uh, naturally motivated. It's very easy to fall prey to uh, mm -hmm. losing your motivation in the process. And students are not very different. And I think it has a lot to do with the beliefs that we've been resorting to when it comes to designing courses and uh, preparing lessons. And I think that one of the key factors is, is the idea that motivation is something that can be managed by others. Uh, so I think that for many years, we, we were exposed to the principles of extrinsic motivation as, right. and teachers have to motivate their students. And we have developed a number, a number of strategies that, uh, that, that make us believe that it is, it is working. I think that's the, the, the worst thing. It's very dangerous because we are tempted to believe that it is working because uh, we see some reactions in students and then we're forced to believe that because we are, you know, uh, giving them uh, a candy or a mm -hmm. sticker or uh, the promise of a better future or because we tell them that, that whatever they are studying will be in a task, uh, they get right. more motivated. So we keep doing it, which, which is very harmful in my, in my opinion. Huh. There's something that you just mentioned there um, that I want to touch upon. Um, this idea that, what we're, that it's the teacher's job or duty to motivate the students. Um, and you also mentioned something that teachers seem to believe these so-called past, um, passed upon uh, beliefs about uh, consolidated truths regarding this idea of motivation. I think my question to you is, how much critical thinking do you think teachers have 
in terms of understanding a lot of these so-called consolidated truths. Because one of the main arguments that I have here is that teachers rely too much on their intuition. And I find that our intuition is very unreliable for reasons that we know, cognitive biases and all the different types of biases that we have. This is a trap, isn't it? When you <laughs> ask me this question, you're setting up a trap. Okay. <laughs> well, not necessarily, but I've, I've engaged in conversations with people online that are constantly telling me that teachers have to trust their intuition. That, you know, what we do in teacher, what we do in a lot of teacher training courses, the way we're, I mean, I, I think to a certain extent we can agree on that that a lot of teacher training courses are very top-down as opposed to, to bottom-up. So that's one thing we can agree on. No, absolutely. And I think, uh, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I think that this, this is probably one of the, the, the pillars uh, that prevents us from developing education as a whole. And this is not only English language teaching, which is the, the, the idea that teachers have maybe to become more critical in terms of what they, they, they practice and what they study and what they learn. Uh, so I think critical thinking is very much connected to motivation. There are actually theories mm. that uh, bring the two, these two concepts together. So the more critical a thinker you are, the more motivated you're likely to be to do certain things because uh, critical thinking uh, also triggers autonomy and autonomy mm. is one of the pillars of uh, the current uh, discussions in, regarding motivation. But, I mean, you, you also raised the issue of uh, what teachers uh, believe and what, what they say. Uh, historically speaking, teachers, uh, they have been programmed to teach mm -hmm. through uh, a set of behaviors and activities, teacher education. And that's why we used to say teacher training, and we yeah. shouldn't be saying teacher training anymore because, you know, we, we train animals, actually. <laughs> we should be talking about educating and offering professional development initiatives. Mm -hmm. But in, in the past, it was very much about training. It was very much about telling teachers what to do. So a set of behaviors that they would have in the classroom and giving them a list of activities to do and helping them organize these activities. The whole idea, and Donald Freeman talks a lot about this, the whole idea that getting to the, the, the thinking process is important is, is a fairly new idea because in the past, we didn't really care about what teachers, which is a, a, a very ironic, yeah. but we didn't really care about what teachers would think, what their beliefs really were. Uh, we really wanted them to have certain behaviors, to use their voice in a certain way, to manage the group in a certain way, mm -hmm. and to devise activities. And when it comes to English language teaching, it's very easy for us to think of what these activities are like a pre-listening, a while listening, a post-listening, a uh, controlled practice moment. And why you do certain things was never really thoroughly discussed. So it is only, uh, um, it, it, it's, it's a real paradox because in a way, we, in the, after the 90s, we started talking about teachers' beliefs more in depth and the thinking mm -hmm. behind their decisions and the rationale behind uh, their practice. But right now, it's almost like we have forgotten everything that we learned and we're going back and emphasizing more a set of behaviors and activities. Yes. And, and as a consequence, you know, critical thinking is impacted. If you're not thinking critically, you feel pretty much like, you know, a, a, a technician, somebody who's just reproducing something who's not, you know, really important in the process. Mm -hmm. Hence, you lose motivation, and then it's a snowball process. Yeah. Uh, and you know, teachers are not motivated. Uh, uh, they, they, uh, because as I mentioned before, 
it's not the teacher's role to motivate students, but that doesn't make it easier. It makes it more complex because we can demotivate people. Mm -hmm. We can't motivate them, but we can 100%. demotivate them. Yes. Uh, so I think that the role of the teacher is to really uh, investigate what uh, students' purpose is and get to know their learners and you know, make sure that they find a reason and uh, they relate what they are learning to their real lives more successfully and effectively. Mm -hmm. And this is much harder than playing a game at the end of the lesson and telling <laughs> students that if they participate, they will play a game or listen to a song, right? Because that's what we, at least that's what I was taught to do in the past. If you want to motivate your learners, tell them- Or show a song. movie. <laughs> or, yeah, exactly. Next class, we're going to play a movie, you know? Yes. Uh, this, is, this is lame. I mean, this is, this is bribery, actually. Um, Oh, but that's, that's what we, we, for many years, that's what we assumed to be motivation. Mm -hmm. No, that's, I mean, a lot of very interesting points here, Vinny. Um, this whole idea of this top-down transmissive training model, I like to call it the um, take-the-boxes approach to teacher education. You have to behave a certain way. You know, teacher talking time, student talking time, all those boxes that teachers have to tick. And there's actually very little regard for the teacher's cognition, for what actually, teach, like you said, what teachers are yeah. thinking. Um, and I think the pendulum in ELT keeps swinging back and forth. Like you said, this is, none of this is actually new. It's just that we seem to forget and we kind of go back into old trends. And for some reason, we just ignore all the evidence. And I think that's the key word that I want to harp on here is we are not looking at the evidence. I think, and, and Vinny, this is not exclusive to Brazil, just so you know. Ah, North America, <laughs> in North America, I would say most teachers are, I would say a lot of, I'm not going to generalize because I might get in trouble by saying this, but teachers are not trained to reflect on the materials that they are using as well. They are using a TED Talk. I say, okay, but why are you using a TED Talk? Oh, because it's good listening practice. Okay, and so what? That's something they can do at home. Like, what are you going to be doing with a TED Talk in the classroom? I mean, there is no, there's not a lot of informed decisions happening. It's like, put your head down, hop on the silly bus, and it's horse track English. Let's see who gets there first. I, I got you. That sounds very familiar to me. That's, and the, and the, the funny thing, Leo, which, which is what we've been trying to do, really, because you can, you can, you can just complain about how uh, teacher, teacher education programs have been designed. We can just whine about the way that organizations have been managing teachers. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's really about teachers themselves and, you yes. know, getting teachers to see beyond the set of behaviors and the prepared activities. So what we've been trying to do at Troika, and this is something that I, I truly believe in, we've been trying to raise awareness of teachers that they have to develop their own critical thinking in terms of what they're doing. Uh, and their, their, their whole cognitive process, as you, mm -hmm. you mentioned brilliantly, it's, 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 it's really uh, not going for the easy fix. However, you know, if you promise teachers that you're going to give them 10 activities that young learners adore, they will just run into that particular room in a conference, whereas mm -hmm. the room next door that talks about uh, the cognitive process of making decisions in a post-method era mm -hmm. or whatever will probably be empty because yes. there is still a, an attitude towards simplifying what is not simple. I mean, teaching and learning, that's a very complex activity. But at the end of the day, you know, teachers themselves prefer to see it as a simple activity. And that's where I think we need to focus on. That's, mm. that's, uh, the, the, that, these are the stakeholders that have to change the way Absolutely. they perceive it. 
Oh, no, this is, I mean, everything that you're saying resonates brilliantly with what is happening in North America. The same idea with a lot of workshops and conferences here. It's the same thing. You have 10 ideas or 10 activities for Monday morning classes. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, really? Is that what people are still going for? But anyway, uh, I want to talk about, uh, oh, you, one thing you said, something about um, teachers being passive uh, consumers of, of materials. Um, do you find that it, there is a lack of training in terms of teachers becoming more, uh, I would say, well-versed in designing materials? Because I find that CELTA and DELTA to a certain extent, but not much, they don't really train teachers to develop their own materials. What we see is publishers monetizing on textbooks and teachers becoming hostages of this, I would call vicious cycle. You go to the classroom, you teach the book, you don't teach the students, and you they pretend that they're learning and you pretend that you're teaching and that's okay. Yeah, the, 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 whole pre, yeah, the whole pretend thing, it kills me. But yeah, it is, it is true, it does happen quite a lot. And I, I don't really want to know whether you're learning. <laughs> and you don't really want to learn that much because you know, learning is painful. So yes. when, it, when it starts to hurt, it's better just like to, oh, let's do something else. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I, I do think that teachers could benefit from a greater understanding of what uh, material design and task design and syllabus design you know, should entail and how to go about it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, again, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very complex situation. Because if you think about Brazil, for example, a teacher to make ends meet will be teaching, like, I don't know, 30, 36, 40 hours, content hours in the mm -hmm. classroom. And then, you know, uh, sometimes you turn to teachers uh, who are living in this context and you tell them, would you like to learn how to design tasks? And I, I can only sympathize when they say, Thank, thanks, but no thanks. And I'm just mm -hmm. going to follow the, the course book because I, I, I barely have time to, to live out my own life. Uh, so it, it is, it's, it's, it's all very, very complex. As a course book writer, I mean, I, I wrote course books. And I love when people say that they changed my course book because the way I see it, it's, it's, it's there to, to be the backbone of right. a course, to uh, help you uh, with ideas, to provide you with more material, easy access to some material, especially given the current circumstances, you know, like teachers mm -hmm. don't have as much time uh, as they, they should have to prepare their lessons. But I think that the, the, the issue is that many teachers are still encouraged to see the course books as a recipe. Mm -hmm. And this, this is it's really complicated because when a course book is written, uh, you, you're writing and, and in spite of all the research that is carried out, because there is a lot of research behind Absolutely. it. Uh, but, but, but despite all the work that is done, you still don't really have a clear idea of who's going to be using the book because there are, you know, there is the institution and there are different institutions. Then there is the teacher and each individual teacher will have their own background and their own beliefs. And then there are the students, the most right. important stakeholders in the whole process. And each individual student is so unique and yeah. the, the, the contexts are so diverse. And saying that a course book will work regardless of where you are and who you're teaching that's so irresponsible uh, I, I think that they, they they serve a very interesting purpose because they can simplify uh when we need to simplify the process they can simplify the process which right. is 
you know, the lesson preparation, finding resources. But assuming that all the answers are going to be there and that, you know, you shouldn't uh, adapt anything, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's dangerous. That's, yeah. you know, and that, that's where critical thinking comes in. That's right. Because, you know, if you are a critical thinker, you feel empowered to look at the course book, understand what the, the author was trying to achieve, criticize it in a healthy, mature way, because there are also people that just go around pointing fingers. There is a, there is a lot of uh, uh, bitter comments in our oh, community. Of course there are. And as a course book writer, a methodology <laughs> book writer, a teacher educator, I had so m much hate mail in my life. You know, it's just like, uh, and, and especially when you start pushing people's buttons, especially when you make people uncomfortable and you, you try to healthily destabilize them and get them to rethink their practice. So uh, sometimes it's hard to get to teachers because they do like the idea that the course book is going to save the day, that uh, they don't really need to think critically because mm -hmm. sometimes that when the pendulum goes to the other side, it's pretty much like, no course book is good, nobody knows what they're doing, and this is bad, and blah, blah, blah. And there is such a healthy compromise that we can achieve. Right. But yeah. it's, it's, it's essentially like the, the extremes, and I find, I, I find that really tiring sometimes. <laughs>people who are just not compassionate, not empathetic as, as you. I mean, you're, you're a great person. I mean, I, I remember, I think the, we met the last time we saw each other, if my memory doesn't fail me, it was at a brass diesel conference in Juan Pessoa. Oh, that was ages ago. <laughs> yes, I was there with, uh, with Eduardo. Um, we drove all the way from Recife to that conference. And that was the last time, I think that was the, the only time or maybe the second time I saw you. Um, and probably at a different conference, maybe a, 
Brest Diesel Conference, uh, Southern Cone, I can't remember, but I think that was the last <laughs> time. Um, but to go back to the, to the hate mail, I think, I think you being at the forefront is a good thing for the movement, for the revolution in Brazil. And again, man, honestly, all these people who hate and send you negative messages and this and that, all I have to say is, is, a, is a quote by Bernard Shaw who basically said that you should never wrestle with pigs because you get dirty and they like it. So <laughs> that's kind of it. Just let them hate. Let them hate. Thanks. Um, thanks. Thanks for the, the quote. I'll, I'll, I'll just write it everywhere to remind myself. That's it. That's it. To go back to, um, I mean, you were talking about the reality of teachers in Brazil and, and the fact that they lack time, they lack resources to develop uh, their own materials and things like that. And also the, the, the commodification of English language teaching with all these um, influencers, Instagrammers, um, oh, yeah. YouTubers who are, again, with all due respect to a lot of people who do this kind of work, I find that teaching students how to say certain expressions in English is not going to get them to the level of English they need to have, especially because a lot of people don't use those expressions. Um, and again, what, is the, what, is, what are the needs of the students first and foremost? But the question is the reality of the Brazilian population first. I was actually, I have some stats here uh, from the British Council. Only 5% of the Brazilian population declared to have some knowledge of the English language, while about 90% say that they will start an English course within the next 12 months. But we know that when we make promises to ourselves, our brain mismatches the information that whenever we, we announce our goals, we, mis, we kind of misunderstand that as like we've achieved our goals. So what, why do you think these numbers are so low, Vini? I, I like very much that you are probably one of the first people to actually read the figures right, because people usually look at the 5% and they say only 5% of the Brazilian population speak English. Uh, and you, I mean, you said what is supposed to be said, because I always challenge this, uh, this number, because it, 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 the, the result came from uh, a survey that asked people how they felt about that proficiency. Mm -hmm. And we probably know a bazillion people who will say, I'm an intermediate student, I'm an advanced student, when in fact they're not. Uh, so I actually challenged the 5%, I think it's, it's, it's even lower. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. In practical terms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that a lot uh, uh, of the, um, the challenges that we face in Brazil in, in terms of, you know, getting uh, people to be bilingual in Brazil or to speak English for, for that matter uh, has to do with relevance, really. Um, I don't think Brazilians are fully aware of the relevance of the language. Uh, it, it is kind of like a something, a general belief that English is no longer a differential in a selection process, that English is a must. But it's such an empty thing to say, because in practical terms, I, I, I ask my friends, how often do you use English at work? And they go like, no, I had to do it in the interview. I had a, a test. But, you know, on a daily basis, I don't use English. Maybe I have to read an email here and there. So Brazil in a way, and if you think about the, the whole population in Brazil, Brazil doesn't really need English. There was a, a very interesting phenomenon that happened in Brazil during the World Cup and the Olympic Games, uh, which was this uh, craze that publishers and English language centers went through, that everybody was going to want to learn English. And they thought that this was going to be an amazing opportunity to boost sales. And do you know what happened? No, what happened? <laughs> Numbers didn't change at all, <laughs> at all. 
There were books being written, how to speak English during the Olympic Games. There were special courses for taxi drivers. There, there, there was this, there was that. And, you know, at the end English for the day, prostitutes, I remember that. <laughs> that was that, too. You see, they, they aimed at pretty much everything they could, and mm. the numbers didn't change. And, you know, at least this is a very personal account, but when I asked people, like taxi drivers or the, 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 the so-called targets, right, mm -hmm. uh, why they didn't go and study English if everybody assumed that that's what they were going to do. And the answer was, you know, pretty straightforward, very pragmatic. It was, what? You want me to study like two, three hours a week for months for something that is going to happen for 10 days? No, thank you. I have a <laughs> translator in my phone or I just show them the, the, the price and they show me the directions. That's what I've been doing my whole life. So there is, there is this, uh, uh, it's, it's very, uh, very interesting because on the one hand, you have all these people saying that you must speak English and if you don't speak English in Brazil, you'll be left behind. Uh, but then on the other hand, you have most of the population uh, completely ignoring the, the fact that English even exists as a language. You, you visit movie theaters. For me, this, this is always... A, a, a probably one of the best arguments why people don't want to learn English in Brazil or they don't, don't really bother. You visit um, movie theaters in the countryside of Brazil and all the movies, all the movies are dubbed. They oh, don't wow. use subtitles. So, you know, if you're not, if you don't live in a, a big city, you're not even exposed. And then people say English is all around you. This, this is, I'm sorry, yeah. this is not true for a lot of the population. Mm -hmm. English is this concept, this idea that they've been told to be very important, but they don't really feel it. Mm -hmm. So I think that it has a lot to do with that. And now, you know, of course, as a, a kind of like a consequence uh, of, of all this debate of how English is important, schools are trying to do something and parents mm -hmm. are a little bit more worried. So we have the whole bilingual education yeah, drama that. going on. Uh, hmm. So it, 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 we are really behind, you know. We, we say things, but we don't really do things. So not that behind, Vinny. I would say. <laughs> I feel like that our places are, I would say, even developed. I don't like that word, but let's go with that. Countries that you know seem to have gotten it right, but they 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 don't have it right. Like I'll give an example: French immersion in Canada. That's a fallacy. It's a fallacy. And a lot of my friends who went through French immersion do not speak French fluently. English is the only language they're able to communicate in. So, I mean, I think a lot of people don't seem to understand bilingualism. They don't understand bilingual education. But as you said earlier, it's the commodification of, of language teaching, of English in this case. It's like, let's follow the trends and let's see what, what sells. It's all about what's selling. It's not really about getting into that learn. I think... This is why I like thinking about motivation from a different perspective. It's like not really disciplining the population or people have that learning mindset that learning a foreign language opens many doors. And I think it might be the case, correct me if I'm wrong, but perhaps Brazilians don't see tangible benefits or they don't see any sort of, okay, like you said, they might only use English in a job interview and that's it. Yeah, I think that our generation, uh, that's the kind of experience they've had, you know, 
uh, of course, some people are maybe more aware. They are maybe they want to be more independent, so they they'll say, ah, "But when I travel abroad, I also use the language." But mm-hmm. you know, some people don't really have the chance to travel abroad, and I've heard from a lot of people, "Oh no, when I travel abroad, I I just bring my son along, or my my wife speaks English, so I don't really need to worry." Uh, so that, that it is still a fact. Uh, but when it comes to the new generations, and I, I totally uh, agree with you there, uh, people are just following a, a trend. And we go back to critical thinking without actually analyzing why it is they want their children to be bilingual. Mm-hmm. So you have a whole bunch of parents looking for bilingual schools as if suddenly, you know, that's the only way you can learn a language. So for for years and years, Brazil didn't really have a lot of bilingual schools. I mean, there were maybe a couple of bilingual international right. schools. And, I, you know, people learned the language fairly well. I never went to a bilingual school and I get by. So, and now the only solution is bilingual education, as if what people had been doing before uh, didn't really work. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that there are islands of excellence in Brazil and, and uh, th- there are centers and regular schools mm-hmm. that have been doing an amazing job. But, you know, they reach a very small percentage of the population. And even the, the, some of the students who have access to these language centers or to these regular schools, they don't necessarily commit and they, mm-hmm. they, they quit and they... Yes. Uh, study for like a year and then they disappear and then they study again yes. so it's, it's not just the quality of the service but it's mm-hmm. also uh, as, as, as we were discussing before how relevant people think that learning English is actually going to be in, in their lives and if they mm-hmm. can feel it if they can assess the impact that that language has in, in, in their work or yeah. leisure or whatever I would say, I think the numbers I think we have Again, these are numbers from uh, British Council as well. I think we have more beginners than I mean, we have we have more beginners than we have finishers of of, of the language because oh, we have a lot of yeah. people who start learning English but they never finish. Oh, and I think yeah. I think you talk a lot about this. It's learning. And I'm going to go back here to uh, to Michelangelo who said who when he was 98 he painted something and he basically said I'm still learning. I think it's the mindset. Learning is not something that you are ever going to be done with it's a process that continues for the rest of your life perhaps and i think that's what people need to internalize that there is no um again you thinking about progressing um from one level to the next yeah that might motivate you in the short term but it won't motivate you in the long run and that seems and people don't seem to uh and i I love the fact that you brought this up because people don't don't seem to see learning English as something fun. It's almost like a burden. Nobody, I can't say nobody, I'm going to generalize here okay. just for, for the sake of it, but nobody wants to learn English. People want to speak English. Yes. So if you told them, you know, if I gave you a microchip and you could suddenly start speaking English overnight, would you rather study English and learn it or would you prefer to rely on the microchip that goes into <laughs> your brain? I, 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 I don't know, you know, I've never ask people this question directly to, you know, have facts and figures. It's a good philosophical question. <laughs> my gut feeling tells me that the vast majority would go straight to, oh, no, 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 just, just keep it simple. Just give me the microchip. Uh, and so it's not the learning process that is cherished. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 and again, we go back to motivation. It's, it's not the, pro- the process, it's the product. People yeah. are doing it not because 
you know, they feel that their brain is exercising because they feel that they are socializing, that, that they feel that they are accomplishing new things, that, that they can uh, measure the mastery that is, is, is they're getting and is being developed. They are kind of like going through the motions and, you know, really putting up with the process because they want to eventually get mm -hmm. that promise, which is the reason for them to do it. And that's extrinsic motivation. Whereas yeah. the brain is thirsty for knowledge. And, and if we can turn the learning experience into something fun, I'll ask you, so do you want to speak English overnight or do you, want to, do you prefer to go through the process of learning something yeah. new? And then you wouldn't hesitate. You would say, no, I want to learn. It's not just yeah. like having the, the easy answer. Yeah. You know, V, I think this is not really exclusive to just language teaching. I think the uh, fitness industry is very much like that. Everybody wants, everybody wants to lose weight, but nobody wants to change their lifestyle, which is basically what, what it is. If you want to lose weight, it's not about going on a diet and exercising for 30 days nonstop. The same thing with English. This, I think it leaks into language teaching as well, specifically English. And this whole idea of commodification is that learn English in three months, become fluent, because fluency is being sold as the product, right? Yeah. There's very little focus on, you know what? Come here. We'll show you how to learn. We'll, we'll show you how to appreciate this learning mindset, which is not something that we're developing. And I'm going to go back and quote you because I remember okay. you saying this. <laughs> but you said something that stuck with me. And I, I'm 100% in agreement with you when it comes to this. Teachers don't like to study. That's true. <laughs> that doesn't make me very popular among teachers, but it is a fact. There is research, Holland Simmerall, uh, they okay. carry research, extensive research in uh, the U.S. with uh, teachers from different subject matters. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the, the conclusions that they drew was that uh, teachers are very, very resistant. They don't want to change. They don't oh. want to learn. Uh, I believe that. This has a lot to do with, with uh, mindsets. And mm -hmm. again, it explains a lot why teachers prefer to be told which activities they can do on Monday and what different behaviors they can have. Because that doesn't really involve learning. Yeah. That's more like reproducing something. Yep. Uh, learning is, 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 as I said before, is a painful process. It's, it's painful. It's, it's boring sometimes. Yeah, and it takes energy. It's, yeah. it, as you said, I mean, I love the parallel with the, the you know, gym and fitness industry it's it's now it's like you what you go to the gym but you don't want to sweat you know you, you're exercising your muscles when you're learning you're exercising your brain yeah so if you're not tired after a, a learning experience it's because your brain hasn't been doing much yep. so it's um paulo freire actually uh, has a quote that goes a little bit like this it's like you know you, you, you at the end of the day you assess your your students involvement and engagement and how much learning they they've been able to acquire uh, based on how tired they are because they've been exercising their brains they've been uh, drawing parallels they've been retrieving previous knowledge and critically thinking about what is going on if they're just passively sitting there taking notes and memorizing new stuff and just you know acquiring a new set of procedures of whatever yeah. Nah, that's that's very comfortable but i mean are you really changing are you really learning i i don't think so i feel like we're going back in circles but what i was going to say related to that is what you said earlier in the show um this whole idea that you know we have to motivate learners i think that if you are delivering a lesson 
in which learners are engaged. They're constantly thinking. They are processing information. They're questioning. They're genuinely interested. You don't have to motivate them. You don't really have to. I don't believe that teachers have to motivate students. I find that if you are, and again, Vinny, another thing that I, this is an opinion that I have and not everyone agrees with me, but I'm going to throw it out there. Teaching, a person that teaches doesn't, just because you teach, you're not necessarily an educator. There is a difference because a lot of teaching, as you said, is just reproducing a set of procedures, taking the box approaches, approach to teach education. A real educator is able to critically analyze and assess the needs of the learners and then teach the lesson to the students, to the learners in this case, and not so much based on whatever material that they have to, to teach. So I think that seems to be the, the issue here. I, I couldn't I, uh, agree more, Leo. And English language teaching, maybe because of the transparency of the content, because you know, if you speak the language, you can teach and you can easily assess this. English language teaching tends to make it worse because then you don't really need to know about education. You don't really need to commit. Um, there are lots of uh, very prescriptive methods. In the history of methods and approaches, right. we have methods that were actually designed uh, to be multiplied by people who had absolutely no formal training or formal education. Let's, let's get rid of the word training in that context. Yeah. But formal education as educators. So uh, there have been methods, and there are still many methods or, that aim at getting teachers to simply reproduce certain classroom uh, behaviors and activities, mm -hmm. uh, which doesn't empower teachers to feel that they, they are educators. And, yeah. and we need to also, I mean, remind ourselves, that at least that's, that's a big belief of mine, that teaching doesn't ensure learning, yes. right? Uh, so what, what students are going to learn sometimes goes beyond what we think we're teaching. But if you are mm -hmm. a true educator, you're going to provide them with a, a skill set and you're going to provide them with the autonomy to learn more, to, to uh, learn what you can't foresee, to, to, to learn by themselves. And then at the end, you know, and then you become what we are supposed to be, a true facilitator, a yes. moderator of learning, which is this beautiful idea mm -hmm. that in practical terms doesn't really, I, at least in my experience, I, I don't see it happening a lot. I, I, yeah. I don't see development programs that will truly prepare teachers to be educators and facilitators. Quite the contrary. I, I see a lot of, of programs trying to uh, help teachers just, you know, survive by, yeah. you know, giving them uh, very prescriptive um, ideas and kind of like recipes mm -hmm. in a way um, and not empowering them to, to become true educators yeah. and facilitators of the learning process. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Professional development has many faces. Workshops, webinars, conference presentations. What it shouldn't have is a lack of continuity. Research has shown that professional development initiatives have a lasting impact when they adopt an ongoing approach to professional development and not just a one-off workshop. Through our professional development model, teachers progress along a continuum of development while making connections to their teaching context along the way. As they refine their practice, they enhance their ability to be responsive to the learners 
and acquire skills which help further learning outcomes. If you're a school seeking an innovative, evidence-based, and bottom-up approach to teacher education in your institute, we'd love to talk to you about how our program works. Contact us online at www.learnyourenglish.com or by email at info at learnyourenglish.com. Yo, ¿qué tal, gente? ¿Cómo va? Mi nombre es Jan Salef. Soy de Rusia, vivo en Ecuador, profesor español. Y estoy escuchando a The Teacher Talking Time, The Learn Your English Podcast. And I do speak English too. What's up, my people? What's up, everyone? I hope everyone's, everyone's doing okay. Uh, I'm Ian. My name is Ian Salef. I'm from Russia, living in Ecuador in this moment. And uh, you are listening to The Teacher Talking Time, The Learn Your English Podcast. <laughs> no, that's true. Too many teachers, very few educators, I would say. Um, one point you said, uh, that you mentioned here, um, you're talking about teachers in Brazil and the reality of, we talked about learners. Now let's move on to talk a little bit about English language teaching in Brazil. Um, I, I, I was working on a, on a project, almost done with this, hopefully, on um, podcasting as a tool for professional development, a bottom-up tool for professional development. And I came across a couple of interesting, um, some interesting data here related to ELT in Brazil, that apparently 55% of teachers at public schools in Brazil said that their biggest problem is the lack of opportunities to speak the language, which goes back to what you said earlier with learners not having access or exposure to the language. And we all know that one of the most important things in order for you to acquire a language is to be constantly exposed to that language. And, and as you said, a lot of schools hire teachers who might have the proficiency, but are not educators. But you also have schools who don't have, who hire teachers who do not have an acceptable level of proficiency in English. Then the question really becomes, based on the reality in Brazil, what would be an acceptable level of proficiency for an ELT professional in Brazil? And the second question, how can teachers develop their language skills when they lack the opportunities to do so? Ah, okay. So now you are setting up a real trap for me. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, okay, there is, um, I think there is an ideal world and, and there is, you know, what we can do. Right. Um, I, I know a lot of amazing teachers who uh, have not had opportunities, who have not had the chance to, to learn more about teaching. I know a lot of teachers who are very committed and who want to do a great job. Mind you, I'm not saying... Under no circumstance do I want to generalize and say that all teachers are resistant to learning. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, there is research that shows yes. that most teachers are. But there are also some amazing teachers out there doing a great job. When it comes to language proficiency, uh, some of, of, of these teachers are aware of the effort that they need to put into it. Others might be very committed, but they don't see the the need to be constantly developing their language awareness as, as something that important. Um, in the ideal world, as I, I mentioned previously, I think that all teachers would have a very, very high level of proficiency. Whether you're working with the young learners, whether you're working with elementary students, I think that you need to be a very good model and understand because language awareness is not just about sounding good, it's not just yes. about being fluent or speaking the language comfortably. Language awareness is really understanding how the language works, how it's yes. taught, how it's learned. Yeah. And then in that sense, I think that 
proficiency, you will naturally have a higher degree of proficiency if you have a full understanding of this process. Yeah. Uh, I find it very hard to, to think of somebody who doesn't have as much proficiency, but totally understands the process of learning and teaching a foreign language. I find that a bit hard to, yeah. to imagine. Mm -hmm. So ideally, uh, teachers would have a very high level of proficiency, maybe using the common European framework as a reference, maybe uh, C1, ideally C2. However, there are different contexts, and uh, I think that I, I have learned to, to be much more lenient in that sense and understand that sometimes if we can give students access to a teacher who's passionate and committed um, and who is a real educator and who is, and this is very, very important, a teacher who is constantly learning the language. So maybe, yes. because one thing that I always say is I can understand that different people will have had different opportunities in their lives and different backgrounds, but I cannot really understand people who use this as a crutch yes. uh, and who will cling to this uh, to justify their limitations. So some I teachers, call this excusitis. Excusitis. That, yes. I think that, that illustrates very, very yeah. clearly this idea, which, which is, I mean, if you are an educator, if you are a teacher, you need to be constantly studying and learning. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can understand a teacher who is maybe a, a B1 level in the common mm -hmm. European framework and who might be doing a great job. I find it a bit hard to understand a teacher who is at this level of proficiency and who's okay with that, who is not doing something mm -hmm. or, or many things to keep learning and hopefully achieve a B2 level, eventually C1 level. Uh, because I think that part of being a committed and you know, serious professional. I'm not even going to say passionate because I, I don't want to romanticize this. No. Um, but as okay. serious <laughs> professional, it's investing in your, in your own continuous professional development. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think that my answer to, to your question is ideally C1, C2. But I believe that in many contexts, I will find teachers who are doing a great job who are not there, proficient right but should be aiming at getting more language awareness and increasing their level of proficiency mm -hmm. and I mean, you had a second question right oh but the second question was um like how, how, how yeah how can they develop their language skills when a lot of them lack the opportunity to do so because and again i think that's one of the reasons perhaps why troika emerged is there is a lack of professional development so as to form qualified English language teachers. I mean, if you think about it, um, and I think you've mentioned this before in one of your articles, teaching English in Brazil is still largely unregulated. Um, oh, true. It's basically an informal job. Um, there, and you said this too, there is a lack of qualified professionals in the market. And this doesn't apply solely to Brazil, because even though I work in, a, in an English-speaking country with a lot of proficient speakers of the language, I would say not all of them actually have the language. They might have the proficiency, they might be native speakers of the target language, but that doesn't mean that they actually know how the language works. And therefore, it makes it more difficult for them to teach that language. True. Um, so, again, let's not forget, Vinny, all the influencers, Instagrammers, YouTubers who allegedly call themselves teachers and have all these, you know, sales gimmick promising that people will learn language in no time and i remember when i worked in brazil back in the day when the only qualification a person needed 
in order to teach English was having lived abroad. So basically any teenager who lived for three months or spent three months at Disney uh, stuffing Winnie the Pooh <laughs> could teach That's true. <laughs> could teach English. Has anything changed? That's my question. It has. I think it has changed because of the demands. I think okay. that there is a greater demand for teachers. Um, and the, 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 there is a, this, this whole bilingual education debate mm. is, is very interesting. I, I find it fascinating because it, it has brought about a lot of myths. And, but one of the benefits of having all this discussion is that English is now back in, in, in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the schools are pulling up their socks. They want to hire better teachers. They are more concerned about it. Um, teachers uh, find better opportunities, better salaries, so if they're qualified. So they're also going after it a little bit more. I, I think that what we are witnessing now could potentially change the LT uh, market uh, in maybe 10 years or so. Uh, the, the, the thing is that for you to become a, a, an effective English language teacher, if you don't speak the language, you need a lot of time and a lot of personal investment to right. do so. It is easier if you're already a proficient speaker of the language, of course, but we need to remind ourselves that a, a good language teacher will have the teaching and the language. And, you know, if 5% of the population claim to be proficient in the language, we're not going to find that many teachers who are proficient in the language so that they can learn how to teach. We're actually talking about getting people to learn the language and then learn how to teach as well along mm -hmm. the way or vice versa. Uh, so I think that one of the reasons why some YouTubers who are doing a disservice to education in a way, I think that some of them, they do a, a great job because they don't, they don't say that they want to teach English. Uh, they, they, I, I think it's all a matter of transparency, right? right. If you say, I, I'm, I give some interesting hints, I tell you about some words, mm -hmm. but the moment you say you can learn English with me because you've watched 10 of my YouTube videos, if this were even true, all the language centers would have closed their doors already because how wonderful would that be? You know, Just have everyone watch YouTube, that's it. Just exactly. I mean, but the, the thing is that... And Crashing would be right. Exactly. Let's celebrate crashing by giving YouTubers that room, you know. Yeah. Um, but the, 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 the fact of the matter is that the, the demand is still increasing and uh, the demand for professionals as well. And people can't judge. They, 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 unfortunately, they need to be educated as to what language learning really is. Um, and then because of this, you find teachers who, or so-called teachers in many cases, who will make irresponsible promises or teachers who refuse to develop. But what these people, I believe, are turning a blind eye to is the fact that the industry is changing tremendously. Mm -hmm. And in about seven, eight, 10, 15 years, I believe that it will be a bit harder for them to survive if they're not developing continuously because uh, the regular schools, bilingual schools, international schools, you name it, they mm -hmm. are more uh, aware of what a good language teacher is. They want to hire better teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, pr private tutoring is also skyrocketing and people are- I was are, say that, yeah. Yeah, there's a huge a market in Brazil for private teachers now. Yeah. And, and students are becoming more critical. They can, they, you know, because they, they, they have more 
choices. Mm-hmm. They tend, you know, they ask teachers about their qualifications and That's good. That's good. Uh, which courses they are taking. Things that in the past, I mean, weren't necessarily uh, asked. So um, I think that I don't know. I'm, I'm in, in in that particular uh, topic. Mm-hmm. I, I like to believe that the YouTubers, they're kind of like, they are going to lose their breath very soon. I mean, the YouTubers that make these promises, the ones that perform miracles, the ones who uh, sell themselves or who present themselves as, uh, you know, uh, how how can I put it without offending anyone, but as um, entertainers who also... Entertainers, right? Edutainers. Edutainers, yeah. That sounds a little bit more elegant. Uh, you know, I think they, they, they have their own space and they, they are respected. Some of them, they do a great job because they're not mm-hmm. making empty promises. They will say, right. you know, watch my video, have some fun, yeah. learn a couple of words, learn how to pronounce certain things, but they are not trashing what other people are doing. Yes. I, find, I find this extremely irresponsible because there are some YouTubers who will say, quit your course, uh, leave your yes. future, and I will that. save you. Uh, this, oh, come on. This, this is irresponsible. Well, I mean, I know you, you're working hard and you're trying to change that. What have been perhaps maybe one of the most difficult challenges that you are facing with the, the professionalization of, of ELT in Brazil? I think, oh, that's a good question. Uh, there are so many challenges. What's the, what's uh, the number one for you? Because I, I find that usually if we get to the root of the problem, Vini, then I think we can somewhat unravel everything else but i think there is usually one that is the culprit i know but if it were easy to find uh, <laughs> if i already knew it leo um I, I i think that for me it's 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 very challenging to raise teachers awareness of the role that they have and how mm. important it is to be constantly learning and the power ironically it it's hard to make teachers sometimes see the power that lies in education. I think that teachers are in Brazil, and I think, I know, this is the reality in many other countries, countries that I've had the chance to visit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think teachers are often overworked, underpaid. They are hurt. They are scarred. Um, they, they are... Uh, they feel looked down on. And in Brazil, at the moment, this is, this is worse. I think this is a challenge. Sorry, I was going to say something. Uh, precarity as well, uh, Vini. I'm interviewing someone in April, um, Sherry Brashear. She's going to be talking about precarity in North America because a lot of teachers here have absolutely no job security. You might have, go from a contract to another contract and you might not even have work, especially now with the coronavirus. But let's not go in there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, Brazil is pretty much the same. I mean, uh, you, you will find work because... There are, there are very few people who actually want to be teachers in Brazil, and we still need teachers. <laughs> still, right? Okay. It's true. I mean, university courses are being shut down because they don't get candidates. I mean, wow. the teenagers, they don't want to be teachers. So, huh. That reminds me, and I think you've talked about this, but this is something that, I mean, when I started teaching back in, in Brazil, that's something that I heard often is like, well, what do you do? I teach. No, but like, what's your job? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I have one of, one of my first articles was entitled, Are You Only a Teacher or Do You Also Work? <laughs> That's a great title. What I was going to say is that the reality of ELT in Brazil 
has to do with this lack of respect for teachers in general. And I think you've mentioned this, and I mean, it's, it was my reality back in the day, that parents, they want the best kind of education with the best professionals, well-trained, but they would never wish their career upon their children. Is that still? It is. I wrote, yeah, I, 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 I did write an article about this, which I always find very puzzling because I hear this from teachers themselves. I, I, I hear teachers say, uh, I love my job. I love what I do. I think education is vital and it has to be done by the best professionals. But when it comes to my children, I want them to be engineers or doctors or really? lawyers. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it is, it is, it, it is very... It's heartbreaking. <laughs> it can be frustrating. Yeah. It is. It can be frustrating sometimes. I think this is the biggest challenge that, that I face at the moment, uh. which is uh, I, I work... With, with teachers, and I like working with teachers, um, but many times be, before we start talking about um, education and language acquisition and the teaching and the learning process, there are so many obstacles that we, we have to uh, overrun, and there, there are so many issues, and the, it, it is so sensitive. Sometimes uh, teachers, they just want to be heard. It can be very, very lonely. And uh, in, in Brazil, the, at the moment, with all the, the political scenario that we're facing, mm -hmm. uh, teachers feel even less valued. And wow. uh, it's almost like you know, teachers are the enemy. And then nobody will you know, choose a profession and, uh, like this unless they really love it or, which is often the case, mm -hmm. unless they find that this is the only way out. There are a lot of people who choose teaching because they feel that they can't do anything else. This is, this is very serious. Oh, wow. uh, I think, well, you know, Vinny, I think that's a reality here too. I think that's yeah. a reality here too. I've met a lot of people who, who just kind of stumble upon teaching English. It's not something that they wanted to do. And they use teaching as a political agenda or to perhaps, you know, define their own agenda when it comes to teaching. They're not really... And some, and some of them, Leo, will eventually fall in love with it and they will become... Mm -hmm real teachers and very yes. good teachers, but many will just uh, be temporary teachers yeah. until they Lighting. find yeah. a better job or until they go back to their career. Or, uh, yeah. And this, this is, uh, if you think about it, education is the basis for everything. I mean, yes. it, is, it is through teaching and learning that the future politicians will become who they are, the future mm -hmm. lawyers and the future yes. doctors. And, you know, and, and we have, so much going on in terms of education like we've been talking about 21st century skills we've been talking yes. about social emotional competences yeah. we've been talking about all these beautiful things that make perfect sense but teachers have absolutely no idea where to start uh yeah no there's absolutely information overload i think we have access to so much information this goes back to like project gutenberg back in the day when we finally had access to information but we have access to all this information and the fact of the matter as you said is very few people are actually using this information to learn. No, a lot of information, very, I would say almost non-existent wisdom. And perhaps maybe that's what got you into teacher education and writing um, the book, uh, Getting Into Teacher Education, with your co uh, you, which you co-wrote with uh, Catarina Pontes, if I'm yes. correct me if I'm wrong here. So yes, was, was that the motivation to write the book? Um, in a way, uh, yes, because one of, one of the things that I've always felt was that teacher education, because uh, I've been working with 
and I'm going to use feature training now consciously okay. because that's, that's what I started doing when I started working with that. It was teacher training uh, for me. I started working with teacher training many years ago, about 20, 21 years ago, and I had absolutely no idea of what I was doing. And I had a lot of responsibility in my hands. I was mm -hmm. preparing, you know, teachers. Um, it was only after, only after, I don't know how many years, uh, did I realize how complex it was. And then, you know, I qualified and I studied and I understood uh, all the, the things that I had done wrong. And I wanted mm -hmm. to call all the teachers and apologize and say, I'm really sorry <laughs> that I told you to do this. Um, what, what, what would be an example of that? I'm, I'm just curious. Oh, I, I, I was very prescriptive. That's a simple example. I was very much like, these are the things that you do and these are the activities that you offer. Uh, why do we do this? No, just believe me. Trust me. I'm very just experienced. Just do it. I know. <laughs> just do it. But you see, that, it's funny because was... we teach the way we were taught. Unless yes. we develop that critical thinking that we've talked about, then you are able to reassess the way you do things. Absolutely. And, and, and what I realized was that a lot of teachers were walking into the classroom and they were reproducing this model. They were mm. telling students what is right and what's wrong without giving them any opportunity to challenge things or to question or to uh, enable them. Uh, and and I, I felt really um, frustrated when I realized that there are a lot of people uh, in teacher education who are teacher trainers uh, who do what I used to do. So I said, okay, right. I need to, to find a way to um, convey this message and to empower these teacher trainers so that they can become teacher educators um, because I feel that there is a gap in the literature mm -hmm. there. there. There are the teacher trainers, let's call them teacher trainers, um, who are uh, doing things out of experience or because... They worked with somebody who told them what to do. Right. And then you have really heavy literature about teacher development yeah. and very uh, thick books with all the jargon. And sometimes for somebody like in Brazil uh, who just started working with teachers as a coordinator, a mm -hmm. supervisor, a teacher trainer, just, you know, uh, go straight into the literature that is more specific can, can be a bit threatening. Yeah. So we wanted to, to write something that was uh, kind of like a preparation, like a handbook, really, an introduction mm -hmm. to uh, pave the way and get teacher trainers and uh, less experienced or sometimes even experienced coordinators and supervisors, but who never had any formal exposure to the theories behind professional development to kind of like, you know, test the water and get yeah. a taste of of what is behind uh, this this whole process? Hmm. Interesting. Um, huh. So what I'm thinking is, I'll, I mean, there was no formal training for me either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I think I think we've all made the mistake of being too prescriptivist. Um, but I think many teachers aspire to become trainers. Um, mm. My question to you then is, how can teachers make this transition from from a teacher to a trainer? What, what kind of, what advice would you have for someone who is aspiring to make that transition? I always, when people ask me this question and, and, and people ask me, how do I become a teacher trainer, a teacher educator? And they also ask me, how do I become an author? How do I write my books? And how do I become uh, <laughs> a, 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 an education manager? My advice is what has always worked for me. I think I, I could try to maybe systematize it and be really poetic about it. Um, <laughs> But I can, I can speak from experience because that's what I know best. Um, and in, in my particular case, and a lot of the people that I've worked with, 
it kind of like you have this goal and it kind of like happens to you. Mm. You have to work very hard to stand out. Uh, so just the other day I was talking to this new, uh, he's not a new teacher, he's a young teacher, but he's been teaching for about, I don't know, 10 years or so. Okay. And he, uh, he was saying, oh, Vinny, my dream is to like give plenary talks and to give, uh, you know, <laughs> talks to large audiences like you do. And I asked him, okay, and what is the gap? He said, no, I'm working there, you know. I've already been uh, asking people to, to give me that position. So I've been contacting organizations and asking them to give me a slot so that I can be. A... And I, I, I almost had a stroke. I was like, <laughs> no, that's not what I asked. Uh... And, and, and he looked really puzzled because he was like, but, you know, I'm, I'm taking full responsibility for my career. I said, yes, but. You know, it's not asking people to see you as something. It's becoming that something. So oh, when I yes. ask you, what is the gap? Is why haven't people invited you to be a plenary speaker? Why haven't people yet invited you to give talks to large audiences? What is missing there? And then work towards it. Yeah. But um, I, I think that our society has been trying to convince us that if we knock on people's doors and if you really want something and you go out there to get it, it will yes. come your way. And sometimes it kind of like uh, under, uh, uh, underestimate the, 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 the power of hard work. Yes. Uh, there's, so there's also, Vinny, sorry to interrupt you, but there's also a very strong sense of entitlement. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's not yeah, forget yeah. that. Um, yeah, people, people love, I like to say that people love feedback as long as it's what they already know about themselves. <laughs> it's interesting because philosophically speaking, that's why people go to therapy is because they're stuck. They say, oh, you know, I really want to change this about myself, you know, and I, I'm always doing it this way. But then you ask them, what do you like about yourself? Oh, I like that I never give up. I'm very persistent. <laughs> well, the one thing they're trying to give up is the one thing they perceive as their strength. And that's human nature. <laughs> yes, that's human nature. Um, Vinny, I think uh, we're, we're getting to the end of the show. Um, I think, I, yeah, we, I mean, it's been over an hour. I don't want to take up too much of your time. And you've been busy. You were just, uh, you're traveling. You're always on the go. <laughs> uh, no, but it's been such a pleasure. This is, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, we love this too. Um, so I think I'm going to end this with what I call the rapid fire. Okay. Three questions, very quick questions, and you just have to answer them with the first thought that comes to your mind. That's scary. So, yeah, that's usually how it goes. People get a little, um, you know, anxious about this. But I'll start <laughs> with the first one. What new beliefs, behaviors, or habits that you have adopted within the last five years that have most positively impacted or affected your life? Uh, you can't teach people who don't want to learn. Okay. Uh, I think that I, I used to believe that I could reach out to everyone. And I think, especially working with teachers, sometimes there are people who just don't want to be reached and you can't teach everyone. Uh, learning will take place and in some cases better than in others. And many mm -hmm. times it's not really about you. Interesting. I actually, I want to invest, this is going to be my next uh, research investigation is going to be resistance and teacher ego. I really want to get deep into that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. A second question. What is one of the greatest mistakes you have made as a teacher? Oh, 
God. Uh, a little bit of vulnerability teach. here. <laughs> I've, I've made so many mistakes, but there is this one mistake that I always share in a, one of my talks in which I talk about professional development. Because uh-huh. I, I, I like to say, you know, I like to show that you know, <laughs> we make mistakes. I was teaching a group of elementary learners once. I was very young. I had absolutely no idea of what I was doing. And I really thought that, you know, I, I, I had just received my proficiency um, certificate. So I was proficient. I didn't really have to study the language in order to teach members of the family. So I'm drilling members of the family with this group of learners. And I go, everybody, father, mother, brother, nephew. And then I say, yes. And then the students look at me and they look really puzzled. And I'm like, what's wrong? And one of the students who had actually done what I was supposed to do, who had listened to the CD, uh, this student (laughs) turns to me and goes, but Vinny, that's a bit different from the CD. And I say, really? So what does the CD say? And the student goes, it says niece. And then right there, that moment, I did what any real professional would do. I turned to the student and I said, well, that's because I speak British English. (laughs) And... I've, I've always been so embarrassed, uh, but I share this huge, it's a, I mean, it's a simple mistake, funny. but it, it, shows, it shows how arrogant we can be, at least how arrogant yes. I was, just because I spoke the language fluently, hmm. and I underestimated the importance of preparing the language and not just the activities. Yeah, I mean, we could have an entire podcast on resistance and teacher ego here, but I'm not going to go there. My <laughs> last question is... Actually, it's, it's twofold. So what advice would you give to a very smart, driven English learner about to enter the real, real world and become an English teacher? And what advice should they ignore when they start teaching? You mean uh, what advice I would give to somebody who wants to get into teaching? And what advice they should ignore? Ignore? Yeah. Uh, I, think it's, it, I think my answer, it, it kind of like addresses both points. I think the best advice I can give is like, Choose your crowd. You know, uh, birds of a feather, they do flock together. Mm -hmm. So um, find people who you look up to for the right reasons because uh, being a a true professional and standing out will probably mean that you're not doing what everybody else is doing. Uh, So find the people who stand out and who have the respect of their community and listen to what these people are saying. Uh, because uh, you are probably going to interact with more people who don't really know about professional development or, you know, uh, achieving something. And it's very easy for you to fall prey to what you hear the most. And people are going to tell you that you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, uh, you shouldn't work so hard, you shouldn't be so punctual, you shouldn't... and. Uh, and then you will find those two, three people who have really made a career and they will tell you otherwise. They will say, no, just work hard and be mm-hmm. punctual and uh, don't, don't crack jokes about your students because that's not nice. Yes. Uh, and, you know, uh, just, just, just choose your crowd, choose your role models well. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, Vinny, thank you very much for having us. I mean, for, for being on the show, we're having you on the show. Um, this has been a pleasant conversation. And do you have Thank any you. final comments, messages, anything you want to send out to people who are listening? Oh, yeah. I wanna, first of all, I want to say that I, I, I think that the work that you guys are doing is fabulous. And I think that oh, thank you. you're, bringing, you know, you're, you're bringing more knowledge and very healthy debates 
and it's very accessible. So it's, it's, a, it's a great tool for professional development and it's very democratic. So uh, well, well done. I'm, I'm really privileged to be here. And I have a new book coming out in a couple oh, of months. Okay. So, do we have uh, a name for the book, or we is it a surprise? Do. No, I can I can say what it is. It's <laughs> okay. kind of like a, another getting into, but this time we're getting into assessment, ELT oh, assessment. Ooh, assessment. Maybe we'll have you back on the podcast to talk a little bit about assessment. I would love to do this. The book's coming out in May, May I guess. Okay. Uh, so I would love because. One of the, the, the goals in, in, in the book is to, first of all, to challenge some consolidated and fossilized beliefs about assessment, mm -hmm. but also, again, to, to build that bridge, you know, to, to get teachers who are not maybe uh, assessment literate to have a first glimpse of what assessment, the theory behind assessment really, really is. Right. All right. So getting into teacher education and the next one, getting into assessment. Yes. Well, May, you said, right? May? Yes, May, May, May. All right, I'll make sure to schedule another interview for us to talk about assessment. And I'll be looking forward to it. All right, Vinny, thank you very much. Thank you, Leo. You've been listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.